Hi everyone and welcome to episode 43 of Trial by Podcast. My name is Monique Messenger and I'm here with fellow graduate Jacqueline White. Today we'll be discussing a topic that has seen some heated debate in the media in the past few years, that being sexual assault law reform within New South Wales. Before we begin, we want to warn that this topic may be triggering to some of our listeners as we'll be discussing sexual assault and that if you are feeling overwhelmed by this topic, please reach out to Reach Out, Domestic Violence Connect or Beyond Blue. And if you're under the age of 16, we recommend listening to this episode with an adult. We really encourage and stress all listeners to please take care of yourself. In the media recently, we've been hearing the term consent, assault, awareness and consent education more than ever before. Chanel Contos, a Sydney private school graduate, has made headlines regarding her viral petition which was accompanied with more than 6,000 testimonies of sexual assault from former Australian high school students. This reveals how lacking the consent education system really is in Australia. I know personally there was a lack of dialogue in my education regarding what was consent and what actually constitutes sexual assault. I remember when I was in year 11 and we were being taught what sexual assault was, we learnt that it wasn't confined to just being penile and vaginal penetration and that it could actually also be forced sexual acts. This education came way too late as a number of my peers realised during this educational seminar that they had already been sexually assaulted. There's undoubtedly pressure for education surrounding what is consent to be strengthened. The government made a recent attempt, which made the headlines, but for all the wrong reasons. The recent Milkshake Consent educational video was designed by the government to be used in Australian schools for educational purposes regarding respectful relationships. But instead, it resulted in the videos being pulled due to mounting political backlash that the video was confusing and just completely missed the mark. The campaign was estimated to cost the federal government almost $4 million, but it had no mention of the words rape, sex or assault. These failed educational videos make it clearer than ever that the education surrounding sexual assault is seriously flawed in Australia. Now recently, the laws in New South Wales surrounding obtaining consent have changed. The first change was that a person does not consent to sexual activity unless they said or did something to communicate consent. And secondly, an accused person's belief in consent will not be reasonable in the circumstances unless they said or did something to ascertain consent. The discussion and calls for reform surrounding consent really gained a lot of momentum during the highly publicised Luke Lazarus rape trial in 2013. We are about to start discussing the Lazarus trial, which may be distressing for some listeners. In May of 2013, Saxon Mullins and her best friend, Brittany Watts, caught a train from the Central Coast to Sydney, as fresh 18-year-olds ready to tackle Sydney's King's Cross nightclub. Lazarus met Mullins on the dance floor of Soho, a club part owned by Lazarus's father. After meeting on the dance floor, Lazarus asked Mullins to attend the VIP section with him. He then escorted her to a back lane behind the club in King's Cross. Now we're going to go into some of the detail of what allegedly occurred in the back alley, which will involve offensive language and graphic details. Please skip forward if you do not wish to hear the following details. Once exiting the club, the pair began kissing when Lazarus attempted to pull Mullins' stockings and underwear down. Lazarus then employed a directive tone and told Mullins to put her hands against the wall, to which she complied. Lazarus then pulled down her stockings and underwear and unsuccessfully attempted penile vaginal intercourse. 
Subsequently, Lazarus directed Marlins to get on her hands and knees and arch her back, and after another unsuccessful attempt of vaginal penile penetration, Lazarus engaged in anal penile penetration. During the intercourse, Mullen pushed back towards him and forward in a manner that he took as her consenting to continue in the sexual intercourse. Mullins later testified that she told Lazarus to stop, but Lazarus fiercely denied this in court. Mullins contacted the police after the incident. The issue that subsequently arose in trial was that Mullins asserted she never consented to the sexual interaction. For example, she asserted that she never orally consented or indicated consent with her body language. But the crux of Lazarus' defence was that he claimed Mullins never said or indicated no, and consequently, he didn't know she wasn't consenting. Three months after the incident, in August 2013, Lazarus was charged with sexual assault under Section 61I of the Crimes Act, which states that any person who has sexual intercourse with another person without the consent of the other person and who knows that the other person does not consent to the sexual intercourse is liable to 14 years of imprisonment. A key element of the offence of sexual assault is that the offender knows the other person does not consent. Consent in relation to sexual offences is defined in 61HE2 of the Crimes Act to mean a person consents to sexual activity if the person freely and voluntarily agrees to sexual activity. The relevant law for knowledge of consent is governed by section 61H subsection 3 to establish that an accused knew the alleged victim did not consent to the sexual activity. The prosecution must establish, first, the person knows that the alleged victim does not consent to the sexual activity, or the person is reckless as to whether the alleged victim consents to the sexual activity, or the person has no reasonable grounds for believing the alleged victim consents to the sexual activity. At first instance, Lazarus was found guilty of sexual assault by her honour Judge Huggett and a jury in Sydney District Court in early 2015. The judge had directed the jury to consider whether the accused person's belief in the complainant's consent was a reasonable one. After the jury delivered a guilty verdict, Lazarus was sentenced to five years in jail with a three-year non-parole period. This decision was then appealed and Lazarus was out of prison within 11 months. The Court of Appeal stated that there was no dispute about whether penal anal intercourse occurred. This left the issue of consent, which essentially comprised of two questions. Firstly, whether the evidence proved that there was no reasonable possibility that the complainant consented to the alleged intercourse. And secondly, whether it was not reasonably possible that the appellant did not know the complainant was consenting. So, was there no reasonable possibility that Saxon consented? And was it not reasonably possible that Lazarus didn't know that Saxon wasn't consenting? The primary decision was quashed by the New South Wales Court of Criminal Appeal in 2016 and ordered a retrial after finding the judge misdirected the jury on the issue of the no reasonable grounds provision. Lazarus's second trial in 2017 commenced without a jury due to the media saturation of the matter in accordance with 132 of the Criminal Procedure Act. The trial commenced before Her Honour Judge Tupman in the Sydney District Court. Her Honour found the accused not guilty of the offence as Her Honour thought that Lazarus had an honest and reasonable but mistaken belief that Mullins was consenting. In reaching this conclusion, the judge based her findings on two factors. First, Mullins never said stop, no, or took any physical actions to move away from the intercourse. 
And second, while Mullins complied with the instructions from fright, this fright was not caused by any aggressive behaviour on Lazarus's part. I would like to note here that Annie Cousin, a professor of law and criminology at University of New South Wales, stated that Mullins' behaviour on the night seemed to be what known as the freeze response, which is a well-known reaction when the person identifies that flight and fight are not options for them. The 2017 non-guilty decision was eventually appealed to the Criminal Court of Appeal the same year per Section 107 of the Crimes Appeal and Review Act 2001 on two grounds. Firstly, whether the trial judge erred in taking into account Lazarus' self-induced intoxication for the purpose of determining whether he had no reasonable grounds for believing that the complainant consented to the sexual intercourse. This ground was not made out. And second, whether the trial judge erred in failing to direct herself that when making a finding about the respondent's knowledge of consent, she must have regard to any steps taken by the respondent to ascertain whether the complainant was consenting. But eventually the appeal was dismissed, with the court noting that the ordering of a retrial would give rise to oppression and unfairness. In short, the case was dismissed and the option of a retrial was no longer a possibility for Mullins. This was obviously a disappointing result for Mullins but it added fuel to the argument for advocates. Mullins, now the Director for Rape and Sexual Assault Research and Advocacy, was a key driver and advocate on why consent laws needed to be strengthened in New South Wales. Mullins told her experience of sexual assault on the ABC's Four Corner episode in 2018. This led to the New South Wales Attorney General asking the New South Wales Law Reform Commission to review the provision in the New South Wales Crimes Act, which governs what consent is in relation to sexual assault. What is critical to note here is that Mullins is not an isolated incident. As we have seen with the Contos platform with already 6,000 testimonies from sexual assault survivors, this is an issue affecting so many Australians. Reform and better education surrounding sexual assault is needed. Prior to the New South Wales Law Reform report being published, Mullins was quoted by the Sydney Morning Herald saying she was really disappointed that New South Wales had failed to lead the way in consent law. Mullins was advocating for a similar system to the Tasmanian consent laws, which some experts have previously termed as having the golden standard in Australia. So Tasmanian law states that the parties have to take reasonable steps to find out if the other person is consenting to the sexual act to establish that consent was granted. Mullins' advocacy was heard. The Commission later published their report in September 2020 with 44 recommendations for reform, and on the 25th of May 2021, a New South Wales Government media release outlined that the laws governing consent would undergo reform. The proposed reform aims to simplify and strengthen sexual consent laws to protect victim survivors and educate the community. Attorney General Mark Speakman stated that New South Wales would be adopting all 44 of the recommendations of the Law Reform Commission's report, but they would be going further in two respects. Yeah, so as we've previously mentioned in the episode, the two key reforms to consent law that the New South Wales government announced beyond the Commission's recommendations are, firstly, that a person does not consent to sexual activity unless they said or did something to communicate consent, and secondly, an accused person's belief in consent will not be considered reasonable in the circumstances unless they said or did something to ascertain consent. 
The government have also stated that they plan to introduce five new jury directions for judges to give at trial to address common misconceptions about consent and ensure a victim's evidence is assessed fairly and impartially. What the reform means for cases like Mullins is that the accused will have to prove they did or said something to ascertain consent from the victim. It's just simply not enough for the defence to establish the accused believed consent had been given. So let's get down to discussing how this will actually work on a practical level. What would be some examples of an action which would actually communicate consent? Yeah, well, it's not um, yet confirmed in our courts or parliament what actions would communicate consent. But as New South Wales Attorney General Mark Speetman stated, you can't simply assume through lack of resistance or lack of protest that consent has been given. If I were to hazard a guess, I think it would be something as simple as saying, do you want this? With a response of yes or I want this. But I'm not yet sure what body language would be considered consent. And I think that will be something for the higher powers to decide, which is undoubtedly going to be challenging. I think this is um, especially so more now than ever because as our society evolves and time goes on, the conversations around sex become more commonplace and normalised. These days we have multiple podcasts and learning platforms about sex and different kinds of sex. I think one of the biggest challenges for Parliament and the courts will be regulating this in relation to consent. So hypothetically, if a couple are engaging in BDSM or BDSM roleplay, how will communicative consent be given and sought? You need to remember that consent can be withdrawn at any time. I definitely think this will be interesting to see how Parliament and the courts implement this reform. Absolutely. It's definitely a space to watch. The reform has also been criticised by some, with New South Wales Bar Association President Michael McHugh SC stating that this reform would criminalise sexual relations that were actually consensual. McHugh stated that as affirmative consent is required for every sexual activity, This would mean that if a person is engaging in consensual sex, then they would have to obtain additional affirmation before they place a hand on a breast or buttocks. McHugh does make an important point, but in a country where 17% of women and 4.3% of men have experienced sexual violence, these are the kind of protective laws we need. Yeah, agreed. I think, especially as a woman, going outside at night alone can be scary. That's why these reforms are so important. I know it is predominantly an after-the-fact protection and that it's not of much help because at the time it comes into assistance, the assault has already recurred and the victim is sitting in a courtroom. But I also see it as a deterrent and hopefully it will stop someone from engaging in sexual activity if they haven't received affirmative consent. It is definitely a win for survivors and also a protective deterrent, but the law should always be an avenue of last resort. We must continue to put resources and energy into preventing sexual violence before it occurs. Yeah, exactly. This is why it's so important we spread news of safe sex and how to obtain consent. We need to get this message of the reformed consent laws not only into our schools, but to re-educate people out of school. Stories like Mullins hit too close to home, and it really is a terrifying thought at the back of mine and many other young men and women's minds. I think these reforms are in a step in the right direction, But as Saxon Mullins said herself, this of course isn't the end of our work, nowhere near. But in a space where wins can sometimes feel few and far between, I'd like to take this time to celebrate this one. And I think that quote is really perfect to end on because it is true, we have come far compared to say 50 years ago, but there's so much more work to do. And I think we need to start with the education and go from there. I definitely agree. 
Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Trial by Podcast. It's a difficult topic, but one that is important that we are all aware of and educate ourselves on. Please remember that there are helplines you can contact, which we've included in the description of this episode.